Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, and and here we are, episode 298, the beginning of our 13th season. Lucky number 13. (laughs) Oh no. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, that's that's fine. It's going to be, I'm not superstitious. Not, not, not one bit. Um, as is our want, we have a very special guest with us uh, this time. You know, we, we've been opening our seasons with a special guest now for a few years. And uh, we are so happy to welcome Cy Kellett, who is Yay. the host of Catholic Answers Live. Yes, welcome, Yay. welcome. Well, thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank I gave so myself much. a round of applause to start. <laughs> and and start we're also doing the wave. On. Yeah, we got yeah. the wave going as well. The, the crowd is just going nuts. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for being here. Um, we really appreciate you. Well, I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very, very grateful. Uh, I appreciate this. And we'll get into it because we're going to talk about Walker Percy. But I'm very grateful because I reread a book I haven't read in probably 15, 20 years. Oh, excellent. And found out it's just as exciting as I remember it. So <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, all of that. That's great. That's great. And the book we're going to talk about is The Thanatos Syndrome by Walker Percy. Um, which and Walker Percy, well, we'll get into this in just a minute, but Walker Percy as an author that I've always meant to read, but I haven't, the moviegoer is the book that I hear most often. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the national book award winner and, and probably the thought of as his, I mean, it's his first published novel, but, uh, it's, it's the one that, um, gets all the attention. Certainly. Isn't that his easy entry book that people say a lot of the time too? Yeah, that's, that, 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 that may be the case. Although, um, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention here at the outset is you've written uh, some things <laughs> that are very interesting to us. You know, we we love science fiction for one thing, and um, as all I, good Catholics should, as all good Catholics Amen. should, and yeah. you have written what I consider to be really a uh, fine piece of work. Um, it's called Ad Limina. Um, it's a novella um, available at. Uh, I got mine from Amazon on Kindle. That's, I don't even know if there's a hard copy. Uh, yeah, there's a hard copy, but that's all mm-hmm. available on Amazon. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and it is an absolutely terrific book about a bishop on Mars who needs to make his way to Earth for his ad limina visit. Um, which he has postponed as long as humanly possible, <laughs> and then finally has to make his way and. Uh, um, one of the things at the very opening of that, um, you know, it said, you know, Catholics are not, they weren't permitted to take the normal route, right? So he had to use an unregistered vessel to get there, which caused a very circuitous route. I do want to correct I, I, just one thing you said. A, mm-hmm. a lot of people say it's actually the best book about a Catholic bishop on Mars. Ah, uh-huh. uh, I, I often hear that. Like the, <laughs> this, this might be, in that whole genre, yes. this might be the, the very top one. That's I've only read sure. three or four others. So <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Yes. I, I, I didn't even <laughs> <my favorite. laughs> one other. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I well, then I retract it. my statement. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But uh, but it's terrific. So um, I, I'm assuming that you have a background in science fiction. It's something that you enjoy. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I probably like a lot. I mean, I'm born in 1964, so like a lot of people my age, uh, the 
greatest thing that could happen to you on a Saturday afternoon was that the Star Trek was on, oh, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that, you know, the reruns of Star mm-hmm. Trek. So I think a lot of people uh, caught the bug from, from Star Trek, but uh, I was a, a big reader as a kid and uh, discovered, uh, I, I think I, I fantasy kind of writing first uh, because of um, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia and of course, uh, Tolkien's stuff. But then uh, just started, uh, you know, devouring science fiction at a certain point because, you know, the science fiction is a is a is a deeply kind of moral art form that it's it's it's, it's constantly wrestling with uh, profound moral issues, uh, often getting it wrong. I think you know, mm. like you have to you have to accept that the uh, some of the most acclaimed science fiction writers are people who. Um, actually miss the mark morally many times in their own work but nonetheless it's just it's it's romance really it's the it's our it's the 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 20th century's way of writing romance is is science fiction mm. yeah yeah i love that well that's interesting way to put it and it's and of course too until fairly recently and scott and i talk about this a lot but it's optimistic and that's where they generally get it right. You know, even if the path there isn't right, right. the place they're aiming of glorifying uh, what humanity is best at, looking for something bigger than themselves. They that's do a that very really good point. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it's interesting because I've been listening. I, for a long time, have listened to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast, which has now, they've done like 500 episodes or something of horror. And they're both, I like listening to these guys, but they're super progressive. And um, so they kind of were embracing all the dark stuff, but now they've changed their podcast over to something that's only really mostly talking about science fiction. And one of them, they've only done about 20 episodes, and one of them recently said, you know what I like? This is so optimistic. Isn't that good after I read it. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And I just said, this is just what we're talking about. This is more of the feeling the world needs. Yeah, I, I guess the, the thing about like even like when you think about Star Trek, because everyone's familiar with the whole Star Trek universe, is it is a positive and and like it's famous for its kind of you know Uhura and and um, Sulu and the the positive view from the 1960s of we can overcome the racial problems that we have, and that's very good. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I, that, that's a very good thing, but the the general po- uh, kind of positive optimism about it is. Uh, actually, I mean, I, I would, where does that optimism come from? And it comes from a kind of optimism in technology as salvific. And I, I think that that is misdirected. I, I, yeah. I do think, I mean, now, uh, 50 years on from that, it, can we finally admit that we cannot be saved by technology? It cannot do <laughs> yes. the job. That's, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. That is a good and, point. and using Star Trek as a good example, I, I think that, you know, the modern versions of Star Trek, um, I'm thinking Discovery uh, uh, is what immediately comes to mind, is not optimistic. And I, I feel like that's where they're, yeah. it's like uh, somehow this modern time that we're in, dystopia is like where everybody goes, you know. Yeah, it, that's it a good, it's not optimistic be, or, or interesting, is it? No, I mean, it, it isn't, yeah. It just, and I, that's it just part drones on and on at you. Right, well, because right. they're kind of like the Victorians. It's all about teaching you and hitting you over the head with their own <laughs> <Yeah>. social <laughs> projects. Right, you know, you can find things that aren't like that, but exactly. it's, it's yeah. rare. Otherwise, yeah. we have to, you know, do all the 
the popular things. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, I mean, you, you know, you are, are great readers. Is there anything worse than literature that's attempting to teach you? I mean, it, you just get so like uh, after Dick and Jane, you know, mm. uh, then there shouldn't be any more literature that's got a, a, a read. You know? yeah. Like it's okay for Dick and Jane to teach you to read. Right. I think that's a good job, Dick and Jane. But after that, <laughs> come on. Like, uh-huh. like, but that's, I it really, the, I mean, all of Hollywood is so pedantic now, constantly improving us as people. And you just feel, I, I mean, I just saw the second Avatar movie and I thought it was much better than the first Avatar movie because mm. it was, it had far fewer lessons in it. Far fewer of, if only, mm. you know, I would listen to the trees, I would be a better person. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, Pocahontas, Disney <laughs> yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's right. great. Well, that's one of the things before we move on uh, that I really liked about Ad Limina. I mean, um, you've got characters in there encountering, um, I'm thinking like off the top of my head, there was a person that was, uh, whose mind was put into a chimp. Right. Yeah. Wondering right. if he had a soul or not. Right. Um, th- these, these conversations are fantastic, you know, and, and, and how you did that. Um, I, I feel like it was definitely, um, an older style of science fiction, which is, I feel yes. the best style, um, this optimistic view of the world in that, you know, we're going to, we're going to overcome some things and we're going to expand and stuff. But at the same time, <clears throat> you you did a lot of, if this goes on kind of stuff. Um, yeah. and said, you know, well, this is like the Catholicism's place in this future, but the optimistic piece is we're still there. <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but you, y- it wasn't preachy at the same time you were able to get deep into some philosophical stuff through their conversations and his meeting, this Bishop's meeting with various kinds of people. Yeah. And I learned, I, I definitely learned a trick from Walker Percy with the Bishop, who's the main character, which is don't let your main character say very much mm. uh, because the the reader will fill it all in. Interesting. <laughs> people, yeah. people say to me all, all the time, like, oh, I really loved how you, th- this and that with the bishop. And I, I think I didn't write that. That's, mm-hmm. they, they invented that. <laughs> you, you, you know, you filled that right <laughs> in. Stuff. Yeah. How yeah, fascinating. Right. You filled it in, man. You, you wrote a better it. book than I, I did. <laughs> Congratulations. For one thing, I agree. It's, it's older style and I liked it because it was very, it made me think of Heinlein. Yeah. And so like my favorite of his is Citizen of the Galaxy. And it's that mm-hmm. sort of a thing as you encounter everything. But also with the bishop, because the bishop is so new to it, he's us also in that sense. He knows the Catholicism. Right. That's and right. he knows the, the generalities of the different societies he's seeing. But um, he's having to make up his mind as he goes up to almost the very end. When he says, you know what, I thought you were going to be bad, but I need to give you this thing because I can't decide that fate. You guys have to settle it. So that was good. Yeah. And the problem, I mean, I I think the reason he can't, and this actually is my own reaction to the modern world, is a sense of rage at it where you don't want to be helpful to it. You'd like to see the whole thing collapse. You'd kind of like to see it (laughs) get blown up. And, And at some point you have to a Christian cannot live in that rage, but has to say, you know, liberals are awful, but Nazis are worse. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then you move on. Wow. You just make a simple distinction and, and move on. <laughs> oh, and that's no one terrific. wants to listen to us. Very well that's put. New. We need, we need, we, yeah, that needs to be a t-shirt that everybody wears. So that that's cool. <laughs> 
girls are awful, but too Nazis funny, are too worse. funny. <laughs> that's so funny. I love you it. You would get canceled the minute you stepped outside the door. That's right. That's uh, <laughs> right. But I live in Utah, so I think I'd, oh, I'd no, be a hero okay. in Utah. You might get away with it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you'd think I would, except I'm not in the rural areas. Hmm. Uh, oh, of uh, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah, I'm in Dallas, yeah. so. And then, We're not uh, Austin, but. Yeah. So uh, I, I wanted to mention, too, a book that you have called A Teacher of Strange Things. And uh, I'm about a third of the way through the audio version of that book. I'm enjoying it immensely. As a, an RCIA coordinator, I see the value of this book for me and the, the people that come to us. Um, I, I can't wait to use it. Um, Thank so, you. yeah, please, please uh, let us know what, what this book is. Well, it's it's meant to be a very simple introduction to Jesus, uh, the person Jesus, and the the reason for it uh, is well, it ha- it has two reasons. One, here at at Catholic Answers, um, Trent Horn wrote a book called Why We're Catholic, and Jimmy Aiken wrote a book called The Bible Is a Catholic Book. So we started to have these very basic books about you know here's the faith. Here's what we believe about the Bible. And we didn't have one about Jesus. So I volunteered to, to fill that little gap uh, because we, the, but the second reason for it, and the reason that I, that I wanted to write it or why I asked if I could write that book was that ca- talking to people on the radio, which is what I do every day about the faith, you really have a, you develop a real um, kind of amazement that the faith is almost completely gone in some places. You know, that what mm. two generations ago, uh, I mean, 40 years ago, the, the children born, uh, you know, in, the, in that period got a basic catechesis almost by osmosis. It just was around. People, there were people who knew who Jesus wasn't. But uh, I was very impressed one day by a caller because, you know, and you maybe this happens to you. I don't know. You can sometimes get in your head about the faith and think, I got to say that, and you, and you, you need to make these kind of lofty points. And this kid uh, called the show. And so, you know, we'll take these, these calls about, you know, what, what about the council of Florence? What in regard to Protestantism? And, you know, you're like, <laughs> I remember there was a council of Florence, <laughs> but is there something else you wanted? So the, the, this kid calls and he says, um, I know about Christian and I know about Jewish, but are they the same thing? And it's a very good question, but it's also a really disheartening question because you, you have this sense of we are at square one with a lot of people, like really at square one. So I just wanted to write a square one book about Jesus. And I, I will be honest with you. I don't think that this is false humility on my part. I don't really think I succeeded. I, when I read it now, I think you could have made this simpler. You know, you could have been more basic uh, because that's actually really hard to do, you know, and maybe it takes a great writer and, and to, to share the person of Jesus in a very simple, direct way for the person who doesn't even know the difference between being Christian and being Jewish, you know? So that was the task. I don't, I don't, uh, I do think there's lots of good things in the book. I, I, I mean, it's got scripture in it, so I know there's some good things in it, but, 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 but it's really hard. And I still struggle over that, how to get so basic about Jesus that the, that the person who's, you know, 15 years old now, not 40 mm-hmm. years ago, but now 
can meet him and can understand who he was and where he fit. Oh, that's and great. Care. Yeah. And care. Yeah. And believe the stuff that you're saying, however simple it is that, you know, right. he came to do this. Well, so what? Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Um, right. Right. Why should I bother yeah. with that? Why should I care right, about that? Right. Yeah. Oh, and I'm so, super excited. Yeah. To, I'm going to read that book. <laughs> you betcha. Yeah. So Julie wrote a book um, on the prophets and um, uh, help me with the name of that book again. I'm looking this up. Was it called Thus, Thus Saith the Lord? Thus Saith the Lord. A fresh that's take right. on the prophets. <laughs> oh, yeah. beautiful. And, uh, and that, <laughs> I got to read that. And that's a, a nice one that I, I actually use as well. Do you? I absolutely oh, do. You know, so sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's, it helps me refresh. You know, it helps me in a, mm-hmm. in a quick way refresh my memory on something um, that we might be doing in Bible study or in, uh, in RCIA. Um, but uh, How that's, long has that book been out, Julie? Uh, so I was supposed to start promoting it during what turned out to be the beginning of the pandemic. Is that 2020? <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. 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 Um, so just a couple of years and, um, I feel sorry for the publisher because all publishers during that time, because if it wasn't a book that everybody was flocking to, then you had a hard time. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, no. And that's one that very much like you, I wrote it thinking of, um, young women that my daughter Rose was friends with who were saying, I want to read the Bible, but it's so hard. Yeah. And I kept going, it is? <laughs> I mean, some of it is, but some of it's fine. And then so I had been already kind of, I was going to write a summary of the Bible, kind of like I did the prophet's book, Scott. Yeah. Mm. And um, the publisher came to me and said, what do you have? And I went, well, here's this. And they went, we, we don't want to do the whole Bible, but the prophets would be good. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So it Jonah was my first chapter because that's based on a conversation that my book club had. And um, then we went from there. But it's meant so it's meant for people who would find them very intimidating. So it's very much like what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So it's interesting to try to put yourself in a place where you've got to explain this. And, and you're like, well, that, that's what happens in RCA all the time. Sometimes someone comes to you, and the first thing you got to do is kind of figure out where they are. How far back do I need to go? Do we have any assumptions in common? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, are we are we at this is God, or are we at let's talk yeah. about the Trinity, or are we at you know something? You know, usually they come with a very specific question. So yeah, yeah and I guess that's our job is to answer those questions. I mean, yeah. the, it's just really uh, quite stunning how basic many of the questions are nowadays mm-hmm. with the yeah. with kids you know 15 to 25 years old real because they they the, you know their grandparents got divorced their parents wow. didn't practice the faith so they got zero as far as christianity like they didn't get square one because it was not part of the world that they were in but you know we i'm of the generation where divorce was still kind of impressive yeah. you know a little right. bit it wasn't mm-hmm. was shocking but it was still like surprising yeah. these kids are of the generation where it, that's just the reality that they grew up in the grandparents were divorced the parents were divorced and there was no going to church on sunday yeah and the parents probably forgot what they knew already because my daughter rose when i was saying she does religious education she does the um program they have at our parish for kids who are being brought into religious education, but not going along the whole way, like if they were going to Catholic school uh-huh. or had always been going to the classes. So they're being kind of dropped in anywhere from third grade to eighth grade. And her job is in a year 
get them up to speed to where they can then go on with their peers age-wise. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah. So, and the requirement is, because everybody understands at the parish, I mean, the people running the parish, the priests and everybody, the parents need the catechesis as much or more than the kids. So a parent is required to sit in on the class with the kids. Yeah, that's So the- she's teaching two levels. And so, um, but she said, she'll say things and like a whole class will gasp, parents and kids. And it's, it's not yet to the point where it's anything about like church teaching. She was just going through the salvation story. Really? And it's things like, yeah, because she was like, I'm starting with Genesis and we're going through to Jesus. <laughs> right. And now, yeah, so, um, but she was, and she said sometimes it's funny stuff like when she was telling the story of Samson, because she was just picking a few of the judges. And she said, so she told about him slaying, what is it, a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. And that's when the whole classroom gasped. And one of the parents went, the jawbone of an ass? And she goes, that's what it says. And they're like, how can that even work? And so they're kind of discussing <laughs> that's it. That's great. Yeah, isn't exactly. that great? Rather than exactly. sitting there bored, uh, you know, right. like, oh, I've heard this so many times. Like the first time you hear it, he did what? <laughs> yeah, right. I said, how I did they it. like when he set the fields on fire with all those foxes with their tails burning? She goes, well, we skipped that part. I'm like, good call. But yeah. anyway. Oh, uh, they, get, cool. they get to the prophets of Baal. Uh, well, and that's where she was having to, you know, it's third grade through eighth grade. So yeah. you're really having to gauge it. But anyway. Wonderful. Um, yeah. So this is the thing you're saying. She'll come home and say, you know what they're saying? This, I get asked this question. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to cut things short. No, yeah, let's but let's this move on. Book yeah, has so much. It, it's now like, that we, it's like we've the, had this conversation, the perfect segue into it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this conversation is exactly, I think, why Walker Percy wrote this book, and it was needed when he wrote it, having been around in 1985 or whenever, um, as a young wife and mother. But then also now, it's just gotten even worse. Yeah. But this idea so, that uh, religious language is no longer understood, I think, is in this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, Saya, yeah, you brought us this book. Again, it's The Thanatos Syndrome yep. by Walker Percy. So, uh, yeah, what, what does this book mean to you and uh, why did you bring it to us? Well, uh, Walker Percy is, uh, you know, Walker Percy always described while he was alive as a Southern Catholic writer because he's uh, from the South and lived just outside of New Orleans and and he was a Catholic, but um, I think he saw himself more in in the line of like a um, uh, maybe a Camus, or if he wanted to be Christian, maybe a, a Kierkegaard, you know, in that vein of uh, kind of an existentialist writer. And that's how the I, my understanding is that's why he's very popular in France. That's how they hmm. read him because they love all really? that. Uh, that that's how hmm. they love all that stuff over in France. <laughs> Uh, but n- nobody loves angst like the French. May uh, we? But the, but it's not a Catholic novel or a Christian novel. Uh, certainly, in the sense of being uh, intended as a, um, you know, a kind of allegorical writing, or even as inspiring and touching writing. It's meant to be diagnostic because he's a doctor. Uh, he's Doctor Walker Percy. He studied to be a physician. And uh, got tuberculosis, and so never practiced as a, a physician, uh, and became a, he had he had family money. He was one of the, that's my understanding is he, he either he or his wife had family money, so he became a philosopher, a very good philosopher, and a uh, of language, 
and uh, and a novelist and a, a great novelist. And uh, so he started in uh, 1960 with the moviegoer, uh, the one we we mentioned a little earlier, and um, uh, somewhat famously got a note from um, uh, Flannery O'Connor after he wrote it, uh, saying it's really good. Make another one. And <laughs> he said, that was the thing is, is she, what he was, she was saying is you're not a lot novelist. Cause you wrote a national book award, you know, winning novel. You're a novelist when you start putting these out <laughs> regularly. <laughs> so he, he never was very prolific, but every few years, every couple of years in some, you know, periods, uh, he'd come out with a novel. And, um, this one came out in 1987. I think he died in 89 or, or 90. I don't know. Um, and so this was his last novel and, uh, a very, uh, so I, I think of it as one of the most, one, maybe the best pro-life book written, you know, mm-hmm. it's just pro-life, but he, he, but people would misunderstand that unless they read the novel, that it's not pro-life in the sense that you read this and, you know, you come away you know, converted to the pro-life cause or that it even, but pro-life in the sense of being a truly Christian novel that wants to recover um, human beings as important, <laughs> you know, re- re- recover human beings from the scientism that had, uh, that had uh, reduced them to, to mere instances of this or that, you know, uh, biology or chemistry or uh, history in some cases. So, uh, that's why I chose it. I love science fiction and, uh, he's a, um, you know, he's a writer who in his own life was, comp- you know, he was always put in the category with Saul Bellow and, and John Updike as these, you know, these are the great American writers of the seventies and eighties. Um, but, uh, his writing is very different from theirs. And so he's the least known of them cause he's the most Catholic, of course. Um, uh, but, uh, just a, a, a fantastic, like, I, I don't know, did Saul Bellow write science fiction? I can't remember, but I, I, I don't <laughs> think so. But, yeah. Surely not. But, but Percy did, you yeah. know, and and I would bet the two of you reading it didn't realize that it was a science fiction novel until you were well into it. Well, it reminded me of what when novelists write something and it gets put into a genre they weren't starting off to write science fiction, uh, you know? Right. So they're yeah. writing it like a novelist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Alimina is science fiction. You're dropped in, things right. are happening, things are going on. This one is definitely, to me, a novel that it was, to me, more like Rosemary's Baby almost. Or, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Isn't that you know, I never thought of that, but that's right. Yeah. Everybody's against you. Like, what's what's going happening on? here? Yeah. Exactly. It all seems very wrong. <laughs> Um, I keep getting reassured by everyone I trust. And um, so I was looking forward to it because I had read the description, of course. And um, uh, but so, but because it is a very, I would say, I let people know it's a very slow start. And um, like maybe 150 pages in is when the action starts, but it's the, because he's setting everything up yeah, in his leisurely Southern style. <laughs> and um so, yeah, you can read it as science fiction, but also just as a novel. Without question, yeah, without yeah. question. Yeah. I mean, it, and that, and his um, his kind of uh, description that he's able to master is very much like I would say more like John Updike than than like Saul Bellow, but that that um, 
the evocation of person and place and and gesture and tone of, of voice that where you know his those descriptions are really they're quite high literature i think but they're also like you said a really slow start it's not <laughs> a fast starting book yeah and that's okay. It's like, um, it does feel, it's it's literary, right? So every now right. and then you have a literary science fiction novel. Um, and, yeah. and what they're doing is they're, they're using some science fiction in order to explore something, you know, which is, I think, you know, certainly what he was doing. His, his timing of the book, you know, in he writing it in the mid eighties, uh, his, uh, I, I, you know, w- where is the book happening? Well, it's not happening in the far future for him. It's happening maybe in the late 90s, maybe in the early 2000s. I don't know. But this is his view of where the world is going. And uh, I think it. you – I don't know. I came away with this sense, even rereading it more than when I had originally read it, or you know, even having read it a few times over the years, just rereading it this time, of uh, really thinking of him as a prophet, that there's something mm. prophetic here. Like he saw that it was all about to fall apart as far as culture. He, yeah. he saw that. Right, right. And this this whole idea that um, uh, one of the things that I wrote down about it was th- this idea that you know science isn't the answer, right? And I think that that was one of Walker Percy's things. Um, I, I saw a talk that he gave and, and he said, um, it was, it was a talk called the San Andreas fault in the modern mind, <laughs> which is a yeah. great name for is that a talk. Notre Dame. Uh, I can't remember where it was. I can't remember where it was. It was, it's on YouTube. Yeah. And yeah. that's I what the that's title the, of it is. He, he won the Latari medal at, at, at uh, Notre Dame. I think that's oh, cool. the talk he gave there, okay. but I might, I might have misplaced that talk. Yeah. But yeah. So it said, um, our view, he said, our view of the world, which we get from modern science is radically incoherent. Right. And that is prophetic. Um, yeah. It's, you know, sometimes um, when you read like an encyclical, um, what was I reading? It was Humanae Vitae. Um, I read that just a few weeks ago. Um, and when you look at what is stated there, it's like, this is some things that are going to happen if things don't change, right? And it was oh just exactly right. I mean, right. it's exactly, exactly. exactly what happened. So um, in the in the same way, Walker Percy is operating here. He's saying yeah. this is what's happening, and this is what's going to happen. And he's here. We are in twenty twenty three, and that is exactly what has happened. Yeah, I think if you had said to Walker Percy, I, I'm not sure of this, but if you said, you know, in the future, what will the nineteen seventies and eighties and nineties be remembered as? You know, what mm-hmm. would they name that period? He would probably say the interwar years. Hmm. Meaning that he was of the belief that uh, a, a true disaster was was coming. A true disaster was in our future, and he would sometimes talk about like if, if he wished that he could time travel just fifty years in the future and spend a half hour sitting on a park bench. Hmm. And he said, "Then I'll know. I'll hmm. know. Did they make it or did they not make it?" Wow. And wow. Yeah. Uh, so, well, now we're coming up on that. And I'm not sure that he would want to be sitting on that park bench. Yes. <laughs> you know, like we're coming up on the 50 years. And, but the, you know, his sense, I, I was struck in this book reading and, you know, Father Smith is such a, a intense character. And the, the part where he says to Dr. Tom, 
you know what you're going to do? And and Tom's just trying to get away from him. And he goes, I, I, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. He goes, <laughs> he's trying to get his attention. Tom, do you know what you're going to do? And, and, and he says all these things about him, you know, with your Ford foundation and your Harvard degrees. And he's saying, <laughs> and he's, he's yeah. kind of, he's kind of summing him up as modern man. And he goes, do you know what you're going to do? And he, he goes, what am I going to do, father? You're going to end up killing Jews. And oh, this, yeah. it's this really intense, it's all coming back. You think you have that genie in the bottle. That genie is so not in the bottle. You are utterly deluded in the world that you are living in. Utterly deluded. Which I'm always mystified at. Yeah. These days. I mean, for one thing, I couldn't believe when these things would start coming up again, like anti-Semitism and all that sort of thing. And then I look at it and go, but I don't understand because the basis of the original really concentrated one was that misunderstanding of, well, the, I mean, this is simplification, but you know, the Jews killed Jesus and blah, 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 totally wrong, misunderstood all the things. But um, I'm like, but nobody's Christian these days. Or no people aren't who yeah. are using this kind of uh, hate. But you see the, 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 Walker Percy would say, and I think believe he did say this. I, I, I could be again confusing him with Flannery O'Connor, maybe. But I, I th- he said the Holocaust. I, he might have been quoting Flannery O'Connor when he said it. The Holocaust is not a sociological phenomenon; it's a theological phenomenon, and that people uh, know. They know he, he, he that was his. T- it wasn't a, a, a theology. It, it wasn't a just that people know the Jews are God's chosen people. And because they know it, they hate the Jews. Hmm. As somebody who was raised by atheists, and maybe they feel that way now, but that's like people who would say, a woman who gets an abortion, she knows she's doing something wrong. No, if you've been taught uh, that fair enough. way, yeah. right. that's not true. You honestly don't. You, you might feel horrible guilt and everything, but you don't even know where it's coming from. You don't really feel that way. Um well, another way he might have said it, and I think he does say it, is that, uh, uh, and he's fixated on the Jews because he believes that God has left signs in the world of himself. And he believes that the Jewish oh. people are a sign that God has mm-hmm. left in the world of himself. So, one of the ways Percy might say it is people are uncomfortable with the Jews because the Jews can't fit into any other category. They don't fit into racial categories. They right. don't fit into religious categories. They are one of a kind. And so, you can never quite jam them into your system, whatever your system is. And so there's a resentment of that. So maybe even if, if, yeah. if it, uh, that might be a more tempered way of saying, but, but I do think he did probably think, and maybe you're right, maybe incorrectly that there was a kind of, this is impossible not to know the, this is God's chosen people. I, yeah. That's just not my experience, but, yeah, right. um, Fair enough. but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the doctor was, or not the doctor, the priest was very difficult to read because he was intense and you didn't know what was going on most of the time. I was like, what's happening? But at the end, he was used so beautifully. Oh, did we describe what was going on in the book ever? Did we just kind of um, leap into yeah, it? Kind of I, did I no, miss no, that don't part? Don't be sorry. No, good. I blew right past no, it. that's all right. We're just okay, uh, moving so right along. So super fast. Okay. This mm. literary book that could be science fiction or a horror story or both is mm. um, 
a doctor who's lived in this Southern community a long time. He's been in prison for a couple of years. He just got out and he comes back and he's like, why do all these people act very oddly? Not everyone, but a lot of people. They can't speak the way they used to. They've lost a lot of their habits. They seem to stare into space a lot, but they can do these odd listings of facts. If you name a city or geography or things like that they could just list things off like it was an encyclopedia like no one could and he starts looking around and as he is moving back into his life and running into people who are talking about well we want to give you a job but you just got to get past that parole board um he's seeing more and more people but it's almost, as I was saying before, as if it's like Rosemary's Baby or, you know, a science fiction book written about a very dystopian time. There are all these other things going on that he's uncovering like a conspiracy, two or three conspiracies, really. And he has a loyal cousin who shows up, who helps him. So there's a few beats that we recognize. And as he does that, a really interesting, as I was saying, dystopian, almost a post-apocalyptic, uh, but it's not post-apocalypse, story starts unfolding. And in that, he is busy revealing, as I was saying, a lot of things that are very Christian, very Catholic, very oriented to thinking about what is life, what does it mean? Because I would have said it is pro-life. The other side is it's anti-death. Because yeah. the Thanatos mm. syndrome, Thanatos was the god of a nonviolent, gentle death. Well, I'd never heard of, but I looked it up. Syndrome, of course, is a lot of symptoms of something that seem to all go together. So you can say it's going to recur predictably, if I'm remembering that correctly. Mm-hmm. So to name that book this, you have to keep that in mind while you're reading it and seeing what this doctor is seeing. And in a sense... He's one of them because he's part of that community, and so he knows everyone really well, and he can gauge, because he's been away, uh, what's different. And in a sense, he's also us, because he doesn't understand what's going on. And that's part of all the the slow start we were talking about, where he's busy describing who all these people are, and why do I notice something's wrong, or what's different about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's That was the a summary. beautiful summary. <laughs> I was really well done. I'm oh, very impressed. You. Yeah, kinda, that's exactly yeah, that. that. She's okay, the best good. at that, for that sure. That is exactly <laughs> you. Um, and so what's interesting, though, is about if you just keep going, just let it sink in, man. Like you're in New Orleans having a beignet and some cafe au lait. Read the first part. And then because when you get to about page 200, it just like a roller coaster. You finally got to the top and you are on the ride. That's it right. It is zooming. And you almost don't have time to catch your breath until the very end when it's rolling into the station. So I can definitely recommend it. I would recommend it too. So I also, the first question, just to be, uh, I don't know if you saw Serenity, Joss Whedon, but, uh, and Firefly and all that. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I saw all those. Yeah. I was reading this book and when first it's starting to be revealed what's going on, I was like, did Joss Whedon read this before he made Serenity? <laughs> because they're not ravers. Oh yeah. <laughs> but all the people who've had the heavy oh. salt. <laughs> Or <laughs> their yeah. brains aren't working right. And then there's the random hostility and, and the whole idea of and, belief being important. Yeah, the people who are yeah. so slow, they aren't doing anything. And the people who are like violent, sometimes mm. killing, shooting their horses. And I was like, oh, 
It's the whole thing. That is, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think that the, the one of the main things I take away from this book is, um, uh, so we're, we're into spoiler territory for certain, but the, the idea that um, these things that this doctor is noticing, these differences in these patients that he has um, are turning out to be being caused by people. Right, um, these doctors have, have thought, hey, if we uh, remove some of these difficulties um, by forcing people to uh, be drugged, then um, life will be better, right? So it's it's like this idea of you know, hey, if we remove everybody's freedom, then um, you know things will be better, right? Which is yeah. you know, it, it's like you know, removing all the problems by removing all your freedom. Uh, which is yeah. not uh, what God chose to do. It's the opposite. No, and, and if you'll remember, right at this time in the 1980s, um, psychiatry was completely changing from uh, mm -hmm. a listening science to a, a science of uh, chemicals. And so there was a drug that came out. Oh, what's the name? It was before Paxil. It was a new, it was the first of the new antidepressants, and it really worked. It, mm. it was it was like the first really effective antidepressant. It wasn't like the kind of shooting for you know the best balance we can. And so there, this book was interpreted in many ways as Percy uh, critiquing uh, all this tinkering with the brain in order to solve problems. Now I have, I have to admit that as I am. An, a, 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 a dyed-in-the-wool admirer of Walker Percy. I will love him forever. I just think he is magnificent. I don't think he's entirely right on this point. I don't think he's entirely right that the improvements in pharmacology are quite as bad as he is implying mm -hmm. uh, with this heavy sodium that he invents for this novel. I don't think that they make people brainless but I do think they can do that. And, and when there's a way in which we don't really heal people when we treat them uh, chemically th that, that we are stuck with now, that is a model of psychiatry. And mm -hmm. that is a model that's being uh, practiced today. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Percy's mother and father, po possibly both of them, certainly one of them, uh, committed suicide. Uh, he's had to live with the consequences of that suicide his whole life. He was himself suicidal at some points, but found a way through that. I I, I don't know that he um, was dispassionate enough in this regard. I hear what you're saying. That is fair. Yeah, in fact, uh, I read that his grandfather and his father committed suicide, not at the same time. But no, no, at, not at the same yeah, time. Yeah, but his mother so, died, you know, driving off a bridge, you know, and right. like, it was he an was, accident. When he was, was 16, so yeah, he had yeah. seen some heavy tragedy. Yeah. Right, right. And so I do think there's something that he's exactly right about, that talking and listening is more is, is healing, and we should not give up on talking and listening as healing. Yeah. But I do think he was kind of hard on the on the drug makers uh, because they're, they're, they're actually doing a, a great yeah. service, I think. I think so too. Uh, I, I oh, agree yeah. with that. I, I think there's this tendency in, in our society um, to take these philosophies and extend them too far. Um, I remember right. like uh, an example would be like Einstein lamenting his idea of relativity, you know, being having to do with time and space. 
uh, turning into an everything's kind of true <laughs> type of a situation, right? It, which is, yeah. it is, it is, it, it's an unrelated thing. He's like, no, everything is not true. Relativity is, that's not what you think it is. Right. You know? yeah. And yeah. then the same thing with. you have Einstein doesn't mean you have to have Deepak Chopra. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. One does not necessarily follow yeah. from the other. <laughs> and then um, I remember Paul Johnson in a book called Modern Times, which I liked quite a bit. He talked about. Um, the idea from the 20th century um, that started with Freud where um, you, you start to uh, lose responsibility for some of your actions. And the thing is, you know, you do – there's no question that some people have issues that need – you know, that maybe they are not responsible for their actions. But it's the extension of that philosophy into everyday things where you end up with – we're not, we're really just a, uh, just a result of everything that's happened before. And these things that I'm doing are inevitable and really not my fault. You know, um, that's exactly right. Right. So I I think that that's just this tendency that we have as, as humans to extrapolate that. Well, and in America, we're going to do it a hundred percent. Yes. We turn that dial (laughs) up to 11. (laughs) You know, um, Julie, could I just say something about your slow start uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, point mm-hmm. as well? The part of what Percy is doing in this novel, I think, is trying to convey to the cynical modern person that when you are in the presence of a human being, whatever the condition of that human being, you're in the presence of a mystery that you cannot explain or reduce. And that a good part of the, you know, the part where he's got, he's got um, one patient that he sees and then then he goes out on the hall and he sees the the janitor doing the floor right. and and so he's he's doing these uh here's a person here's a person it's almost like a a a, 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 a like a well, I, don't, I don't even like a, here's another example of of a human being here's another example of how people talk here's another oh. example that it's slow but the point of it is every time you meet a human being that you are meeting an irreducible mystery. And that's important because in the second half of the book, the people who are saving the world, so to speak, do not believe that. They believe that what you're experiencing is uh, a problem that can be solved. A human is a problem that can be solved. That's true. And if only he, I don't want to criticize, but if only he had had the doctor think that once or twice so that I was so joyful about all this yeah. stuff. It yeah. would have been a super good help. Right. I'm not so smart. I could just go, oh, yeah. But that's is, that is well taken. And that is actually um, a point. And I, I emailed you earlier about this. Um, let's see. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that you were talking to somebody on some Catholic answer show. And that's, I guess, is that bad when I admit that I've listened to enough of them that I'm like, uh, it's one of those shows that he's <laughs> on that I listen to so many of them. But it's basically C.S. Lewis saying, oh, here's where I wrote it down. Um, basically saying we look at humanity as a group. So he says it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity. And that's with a capital H. Oh, with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. (laughs) Amen. And of course that is spelled out by the two doctors that Van Dorn 
who is, you know, in general, this here's the way I think things should be done. And then you find out, oh, gross, he is using people in the one of the most depraved, worst ways possible um, by using his generalities to make it okay. And so is Dr. Bob, who I can't remember his last name, but he's Com- doing the same thing. Como. But Como. Como. Yeah. Pronounced Como. Como. Right. Como. Como. Uh, because he's from probably around New Orleans. But anyway, he, um, yeah, and he is basically saying, yeah, well, but, you know, they're thinking, you know, what is it, binary and all this stuff. And at, so on the one hand, he is saying, well, of course, you know, this this fake law that um, Walker Percy put in the book Doe v. Dade say, basically okays killing children under 18 months because they aren't using language yet and killing older people, euthanasia. And he doesn't really go into as many details, or maybe I just don't remember them about the older people. But the younger people, he keeps bringing that up over and over. I have a two-year-old grandson. I'm listening. I'm reading this, going, "They do. They understand. They know what's going on." But mm-hmm. the funny thing is, is his uh, heavy sodium solution reduces people's language to where they can only maybe use a couple words at a time, and he's praising it at the same time as saying, "Oh, well, yeah. these people can't talk. They're not really people anymore." So. Right. He's not even seeing the blind spots between the disconnect between what he is approving on both sides. That, and, and I um, think that's the incoherence that Scott was talking about. Then yeah. the scientism is a beautiful, incoherent uh, theory of the way the wor- world works that uh, it, it can't produce a coherent view of. Well, the main thing that Percy would say is, I think, is because he's a philosopher of language, It there's no science that can produce a coherent theory of language. And as a consequence, there's no science that can produce a coherent theory of the human being. There is no yeah. – it can't be done. And so everybody who has that theory – you know, and, and as, as Percy says in this novel, there's uh, the people who um, – love humanity abstractly there's the people who have theories about humanity abstractly there those people don't do that much harm generally but when you have somebody who does both at the same time you end up with stalin you know that that i love the human race i want the human race human right. race to to prosper and i've got this theory of humanity that i'm going to impose on the human race in order to get them to prosper now you have a monster once right. you have those yeah. two things in place you got a monster mm-hmm. yeah and I guess I've got two things running through my mind, and one is uh, Herod, who was busy killing his own members of his family, yeah, because he was that kind of monster. But the other thing is in the um, book again, Doctor Bob Camo, who is kind of blowing off the whole problem with Van Dorn and all this stuff, except then he's going, but Ricky, his son, he wasn't bothered, right? Because there's basically heavy-duty yeah. child sexual abuse going on there by Van right. Dorn, and he's like. He, two or three times he comes back, but Ricky, and he goes, no, he's okay. He's fine. At the same, same time as he's like, well, look at the pictures. They don't look so bad. I, I, is right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a difference between the ki- uh, the child in the abstract and my child. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the point that person right. that you're yeah, getting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's exactly it. Right. And then, of course, the priest who's intense and kind of, I found him rather incoherent because you don't know his frame of mind when he's talking about killing the Jews and the Germans and all this stuff. But he's also the one who says, bring us everyone. Bring us all the people you don't want. We'll take care of them. We'll take them. got this hospice, and they're doing Special Olympics or whatever it is. Um, All the stuff. 
Well, what did you think of him saying if, if he had had the chance, he would have been a Nazi? Do you remember that mm. part where? Yeah, because we're all attracted to, uh, and, and he was younger, right? Right, yeah. Mm. So this and was it was romantic. Order. Yeah, yeah, it was romantic. It was also spelled out. You know, it's the coherent thing mm-hmm. that everybody wants is, oh, here's the rules, because that's the other thing humans like. And, and maybe I'm being hard on Americans today. I feel like Americans like it. Just give me the formula. Mm-hmm. I'm going to apply it. And so I felt like that was right. He was just applying his passion to the wrong thing. Hopefully he discovered that later as a priest. That's it. That, yeah. Right. To be directed toward God and people yeah. and not toward that flawed system, which he didn't really understand anyway. But this is that same thing of wouldn't any of us, you know, that's the thing of, oh, those people who went along with the Nazis. We're lying to ourselves if we say we wouldn't have been like those people who looked the other way if we were in Germany then. Okay, right. I am. You guys are better than me. But I like approval. Exactly. I'm just going right. to say, I'd have been softening it, shading it, and I like to think maybe I'd have had enough good examples that I would have been strong enough to do the other thing. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to go against the crowd. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one Franz Jagerstater. There's just one. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's a, millions of opportunities to be Franz Jagerstater. There's one, and so I I do think there's a, I mean, that, and that's part of this uh, novel as well. Is that it's it's very hard to see evil, uh, and but and once you see it, it's even harder to say anything about it because you know no one's going to understand what you're saying. You know, like Father Smith, nobody understands a word he's saying. Oh, but that's such a good point because one of the things, so it's all coming together, Sly, thank you so much for all this, because one of the things that I kept watching Dr. Tom, the main character, and noticing how he just, people would say things and they go, but you don't like that. No, I just asked you a question. (laughs) Oh, okay. And that would diffuse it and they just talk and talk and talk. And I was like, where did he learn to act like this in the face of all this weird stuff and this hostility? I didn't realize it's because he was a psychologist or a therapist yeah. or whatever already. So he was just therapying them. <laughs> yes, he was right. doing that thing. And right. then at the same time, he wasn't talking to them about it because he would say things now and then like, don't you think this? And they go, oh, well, you're saying that because of this being negative. And he'd go, no, no. He was asking it to make them think about it, and they wouldn't. Yeah. But and what he did is then take action. Right, he right. He didn't stop and give speeches and write papers and everything. He just got the old uncle in the boat and the shotgun and went off. That's <laughs> shotgun, <Thank> right. <laughs> That's right. my favorite. Which part. apparently Walker Percy had to do one time. He, apparently, he, yeah. you know, he was a, an anti-KKK guy and apparently had to take the family up into the attic and hide there with a shotgun once. Uh, so that comes from, from wow. his own, yeah. own biography, I think. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. 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 And then that, that priest, I still, you know, I have highlighted over here, but it's the, um, you know, the, the scene where he's there and uh, he says, um, did you say mass? Were you able to say mass? He says, and um, he said, uh, I didn't. Um, I didn't preach because it doesn't signify. And he's like, well, what does that mean? And, but, but basically he said, do you think it's possible that words could be deprived of their meaning? And, and that's definitely mm. where we're at. Um, uh-huh. th- that's definitely prophecy, right? And he, he used the words right? USA, God, Simon, prayer, sin, heaven, world is the ones that he listed. 
they don't mean anything anymore. They and they, don't, and yeah. It's like that um, that bill they just passed, like the, the Marriage Equity Act. Mm-hmm. Well, the word yes. marriage doesn't have any meaning anymore, and the word equity doesn't have – they don't actually mean anything. So say whatever you want because it, it, none of it means anything. And that's the problem is you, you can – like – you know, Percy's thing is you can't just say it to a person that Christ loves them, you know, for example, because they've heard it before. It's not that they 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 haven't heard it. It's they have heard it before, and the words don't mean anything to them. The, mm-hmm. the words are not conveying anymore. Right. They don't signify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't. And that's right. where you have to take it back to basics like your book is trying to do. Yeah, oh, or Jesus. be be like Walker Percy, which who I, I think Percy essentially thought of himself as a sneaky person. Like, I'm going to write in such a way that people don't see it coming. And so he always in his fiction, the person who mentions the name of Jesus is always a person who's in some extreme situation. They're out of their mind. They're in a wheelchair about to die. Then you never hear that. Um, except the the crazy fundamentalists and the, the radical Catholics and all you know the, all that, um, which is another thing in this novel. Did you notice how Percy was so prescient about the the church was going to divide up into conservatives and liberals, mm. and yeah. there yep. would only be a few who still thought the Pope was the Pope? Wow, man, Percy, that hurts a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. <laughs> he wrote it forty years ago. Mm-hmm. He saw that coming, mm-hmm. but that 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 uh, idea that. Only in extremes can people hear the truth anymore. Only in the moment of uh, what Percy calls coming to yourself, you know, where you notice he says in this novel several times, people are capable of coming to themselves. Well, he means something by coming to yourself. He does. That's not just a throwaway word. He wrote about that a lot. Coming to yourself means waking up and realizing I'm a human being. I'm a person. What am I about? What is this? Who put me here? Where am I going? Where you Suddenly, you're not in the everyday world anymore, but you realize the astonishing fact of your own existence and that there seems to be something meaningful about it. Somebody seems to be trying to tell you something, and then you start listening. That's when he says, then once that happens, then you start listening. But until that happens, you cannot communicate with people. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's impossible. So, Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, and that's why we, you know, we are so overjoyed when somebody says, you know, something like, "I started going to mass again," and you go, "Oh, I know what's happening to you. <laughs> I know what's happening yeah. to you. you." For sure, the mystery is alive again. It's not yeah. I started going to mass because I'm afraid of going to hell. It's like I started going to mass again because I know there's something. Mm-hmm. I, I, the mystery has come alive again, and I want it. Yep. Yeah, because I don't. I could be wrong, and you hear from a lot more people than I ever would. I don't think people are afraid of hell anymore. Hell has been erased mm-hmm. yeah, for most right. people. That's because religion doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And the, the version of hell that most people think of, it's like the angels with the wings and halos. Who wants to go to that heaven? It's boring. Because mm-hmm. well, yeah. those are symbols for another time when they meant something different, you know? Uh, um, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, when you guys were talking about words not meaning what they say they mean um, and being used in such ways that no one even listens anymore. And I was thinking of, um, I just, I I realized I'm kind of cramming in this connection, but I did want to get this in here. There was an editorial in the paper this morning, the Wall Street Journal, it says, the quest to re-educate Jordan Peterson. So the um, College of Psychologists in Ontario is trying to take away his license to practice 
because they don't like the way he's talking. Hmm. And so what the, let's see, the best example I found was <laughs> he objected to a Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover of a plus-size model. He said, sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. <laughs> you know, and it's well, like... yank his it's, license. It's so <laughs> obvious. Well, and there's other examples, but they're all basically... Examples of saying the emperor has no clothes. And I suddenly went, we are living in that story, which I hate that story, but now I get it. I mean, you know, it's like you can't, you're not even allowed to say something like that. No. And now, and would we love it if on the cover of Sports Illustrated, then they went, here's the male swimsuit model and he's 400 pounds in a Speedo? No one would say anything about. He's not beautiful because they'd never had to do it. It's not politically correct. Nobody is going to look at that as even pretending to be beautiful. And it's not that plus size women cannot be pretty, but that's not what that is about. You know, I do think that's related to the idea of the, 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 he doesn't say devaluing of language. He says the evacuating of language or he uses terms like that, where it just doesn't have any content anymore, where the, the word marriage, you know, you, you the, I remember Jesse, the body Ventura, who was the, uh, I think he was the governor of Minnesota when they first yeah, started yeah. talking about gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody, this was such basic philosophy he did. Somebody said, why do you oppose uh, gay marriage? And he goes, that's not what the word marriage means. <laughs> I know he later changed his view and went along, you know, because everybody eventually gives in and just goes along uh, or almost everybody. But th- the point is the word had a meaning. And you just, you, 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 language actually is prior to government. I don't know if government realizes that, yeah, but language right. is prior to government. Like marriage is prior to government. Prior to government like, right. you know, like my, my right to life is prior to government, <laughs> but the, we don't believe that yeah. anymore. We believe the government tells you what the word marriage means. And the, and the, the people uh, who, who make Sports Illustrated magazine, they tell you what beauty is. And, um, and I don't think that actually what, what, um, Jordan Peterson is, t- I think he's using the wrong word. He means it's not sexy, sexy and, and beautiful are two different things, well, but the, but yeah, the, they, there are two different sets of signals, but he's right about that. I mean, sexy is there for a person, for a purpose. Well, also, yeah. It was also inappropriate use of that model. Let's put it like that. You know, yeah. that's not the point. And but you, um, but you don't see what you see. You don't know what you know. Uh, the, you see what we tell you to see. You know what we tell you to know. That is the condition yeah. we live in now. It's 1984. Soft Without style. the rats. Well, oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, one of the <laughs> thing. One of the things that leaps to mind for me on the book um, that's in today's society is this. Um, thing where Iceland has cured or, you know, they say cured mm-hmm. Down syndrome. Yeah. Right. Um, and when you look into it, you realize, oh, they're they're actually aborting all of them. <laughs> so they haven't right. cured anything. So you got the word cure, and that's another word now that's that's lost the meaning. That's not what they've done. Right. They've right. eliminated the, the, it or eradicated it. That's a great it. point. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Yeah, and, we've um, eradicated which, 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 Percy, yeah, that's the thing. It, would, it just drives him crazy, and he wants mm-hmm. to say what – what have you done? Well, we've read no, but what have you done? We what what you have done is you have killed thousands of people. Right. Like, like the, yeah. if you want to say, use words, mm-hmm. use them. What you've mm-hmm. done is you've killed thousands of people. Yeah. 
That's right. Yeah, and everybody realizes that on some level, which is why they keep putting layer upon layer of words mm-hmm. on top of things to hide what the the bad things that they don't want to talk about or the truth that isn't convenient. And it's all it all comes back to something that's very basic to Catholics anyway, relativism. And he demonstrates that so well in this story, I think, once um, during that glorious confrontation scene where you have the uncle and his shotgun, and I think uh, Virgil is there, the the friend who's kind of a, he's smart but quiet, and um, the doctor confronting all the people at the school about their pedophilia, and they actually have snapshots, which, oh, just even grosser. Um, mm-hmm. and footage and everything. And he's slapping these pictures down on the table and he's describing them. And I'm just like, you know, he's using the most technical language, but I can't even stand to read what no. is going on in the pictures, which right. is the point. And, but saying, you know, the children looked happy and this and that. And one person points out, he goes, well, this isn't bad. Do the children look upset? And it's like, that's not the point. Yeah, These children don't not. even know what they're feeling and you've drugged them up and everything. And mm. then that woman, whichever one of the women, Mrs. Burnett or somebody else, looks at the picture and says, that's not me. Hmm. And I just know. goes with solid denial of that's not me. And I'm like, hmm. why have not any of these people in all these uh, blackface pictures that are popping up from these parties in the 60s gone, oh, that's not me. I don't care what you say. That's not me. Right. <laughs> we're not at that point yet. It feels well, like we're awful close. <laughs> yeah. It does feel awful close. Yeah. Like science fiction, you know, it doesn't, it, science fiction is, is always about a future that never happens. But the, the doggone Percy got awful close. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. more prophetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're, we're, we're awful close to, to the end here. And uh, boy, we really enjoyed having you, Cy. Thank you again so much. Well, I, I, I'm delighted that you invited me. I think the work you do is is beautiful. I, I, I think um, reading and thinking and talking, these are uh, things that actually do matter in saving the world. And, and, and thank God you're doing those things and, and sharing them with other people. And I'm very, very honored that you included me, even if it is the, to begin the 13th season. Obviously, there's a message there for me. But <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Well, you, you've no, honored this... us by your presence, so really appreciate yes, it. Absolutely. Um, this has been really great. Yeah, we, we love Flannery O'Connor. Obviously, the title of our podcast, A Good Story is Hard to Find. Um, and I know something that her and Walker Percy had in common is that they were writing – these religious fiction in secular times. And, and I'd love for you to close if you have any views on that, having written one yourself. It's an interesting thing, and we, <clears throat> we've touched on it quite a bit, about the fact that our, <clears throat> excuse me, our modern society doesn't seem to be sharing a lot of our same language. But, but do you have any thoughts on that? And, and, and are there any other writers that are doing work in that area that you would recommend? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. I, uh, um, about the other writers, um, uh, I, I'm sure there are, but I'm drawing a blank at the moment. I, I mean, um, uh, who wrote the the one about the torturer? Remember that he's not alive. Uh, anymore, Gene Wolfe. Gene Wolfe. Have you yeah. have you guys done Gene Wolfe novels? We have haven't. Ever? We haven't. <laughs> he's hard he, to read. He's yeah, hard to read. He is. He's a little challenging. But, it's but probably my fault that we haven't. Read. I'm like, no, no, we <laughs> yeah. read Gene Wolfe. I, I love his short stories a ton. But, uh, I, I don't know why Gene Wolfe came to my mind. I thought that, that was just it. Just did at that moment because uh, I really admire him. But I, um, that's not the kind of writing that I, I could 
do or you know like i i it's not my the center of my of 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 um the, the, the bullseye of my my taste but the but it it is brilliant um uh you know i have become more and more uh convinced that the one of the ways of communicating the faith is is and this is quite contrary to what uh, percy thought is to not be sly about it at all uh, mm. and and just to be bold uh, about it and uh, write your stories about what it is to be a Catholic living in the world today. Write your stories about what it is to be a Christian person and don't leave anything out. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, put it all in there. And I, I think that if I think people should write stories, first of all, I think if you're like, I always wanted to be, just write them, write some stories. You know, you know, it's it's good for you. It's um. And it, and some and if if you know a million of us give it a shot today, uh, one of us is going to produce something <laughs> worth reading. <laughs> you know, so so you know we we should just be so bold as to not surrender the field to anyone. And the great thing about publishing today is you can do it. You know, you you don't need somebody in New York to approve of your work. Uh, in the way, you know, you don't need Farrar, you don't need Strauss, you don't need Giro, you don't need any of them. <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can find uh, publishers who are, you know, uh, in the middle of the country or on the West Coast or are producing small runs or li literary magazines that are entirely online. But I, I think write these stories, get them out there uh, and just be bold about it. Because, you know, what Flannery O'Connor did just a few years before Walker Percy is very different from what Walker Percy did. And these are two, you know, we could classify them. They are Southerners. They are Catholics. They are very philosophical minds. Their fiction is nothing alike. No, you will find almost nothing to bridge these two. So I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for just saying it. Don't, mm. Stop fussing about whether it's acceptable to, you know, the people at Simon & Schuster. Write the story that, that that's the truth for you as a Catholic in the world today or your science fiction story or your horror story or your adventure story from a Catholic perspective. And because, you know, what's going to happen to Simon & Schuster is it's all going to collapse. All that is going to collapse and go away. Don't worry about it. Uh, make the stories. Wonderful. Yeah, I love it. Love that very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you. Note. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for for listening. <clears throat> and uh, what do we got and next? Yeah. Next is uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas by Chesterton. Ah, that's right. We're gonna do I Chesterton's picked up my biography. basic book of his life so I could understand what Chesterton was saying about his life. <laughs> Excellent. Speaking of deep again on a different yeah, level. So that's right. Yeah. Love so it. That'll be good. Very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Right. Me too. Okay, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks so much, Cy. This was really fun. For me, too. Thank yeah. you. Good. <laughs> Bye, all. Okay, talk to you in a couple weeks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye. <laughs>